quiz time. Yay! Hey, um, how's everyone feeling? Wow, that was lackluster. Um, how's everyone feeling? Good, give me a click. Okay, good. Um, do you need to get up and stretch it all before we get going? No? Okay, good. Hey, um, I'm going to pray just a sec. Is that cutting in and out again? Hold that thought. I'm just going to swap mics for a sec. Thanks. How's that one? Good? Okay, phenomenal. Hey, um, I'm going to pray in just a sec, but um, if you have come late from sport or something this morning, is that cutting out as well? All right. Um, if you came late and missed this morning, we thought about some different worldviews and how they approach the topic of suffering. Um, and that was probably a little bit more intellectual, like stuff up in our head rather than stuff that actually impacts our life and how we follow Jesus and how we have a relationship with him. But this talk now is where that stuff's going to come in. So I'm really looking forward to what we've got to look at. Hopefully, you've still got your Bibles open at the passage that we just had read out. And we're going to think about that together uh, in a moment because there's some really important things that I want us to notice together from that story about Jesus. So if you keep your Bible open, that'd be great. And also, if you've got your booklet and a pen, that'd be really helpful because there's a few things I'm going to get you to write down from the, uh, the passage as well, things that I want you to particularly uh, note and focus on. And so um, if you've got a pen and your booklet, that'd be really helpful. Let's... Um, Let's pray now, though, as we come to this part of God's Word. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thanks so much for your Word. Thanks that we have the privilege of having it in our own language and that we can uh, meet together today and study it. I just pray that you would speak to us now through it, that you'd help us to uh, come to understand more of your purposes in suffering. Uh, We acknowledge this is a really hard topic, and so just ask that you'd give us energy to concentrate now. Uh, minds that would soak in the truths that we're going to read, and also hearts that are willing to accept those so that we might uh, love you in response to the love you've shown us in Jesus. And we ask for this in his name. Amen. As I walked out of the classroom door following that year five student that I told you about this morning, I was racking my brain for what can I possibly say to this kid to just make everything seem okay? He was crying, the whole class had watched him walk out, and he was questioning, like, how could God possibly love me when he's allowed this difficult stuff to happen in my life? And I just wanted, like, a silver bullet answer that was going to make everything okay for him. And as I was walking out, I was like, I've just got nothing. I I really don't know what to say. And I reckon for lots of you guys, you've probably got situations just like that in your life whether it's questions that you're asking yourself or situations that some of your friends or family members are in, I'm sure you're like, what can I say to help them see that God loves them? Or or is there anything that actually shows us that God loves us when he's clearly allowing suffering to happen? Now, what do you say in those moments? How do you help people and love people in those situations? Uh, I reckon this passage that we just had read out and that we're going to look at now shows the best example of that in history. 
what, what Jesus does here really models for us how to try and love other people in suffering, but it also really shows us God's purposes in suffering as well. And so I want you to notice five things with me during this talk. They're going to be brief, I promise. I know that sounds like it's going to go forever, but they're fairly brief. And it's going to help us to see the answer to the question that we have for this talk, which is in the top of the page in your booklet. It says, why does a loving God allow suffering? Why does a loving God allow suffering? And these five things are hopefully going to help us to unpack that a bit. And I want to acknowledge that it's not a perfect answer. I don't think we're ever going to have the perfect silver bullet answer in this life. But when we look at what Jesus does and says and how he acts here, I reckon we get a much better picture than if God hadn't given us this story. And so the first thing that I want you to notice with me is that Jesus loves Lazarus. Jesus loves Lazarus. Have a look with me at verse 3. What's going on here is Mary and Martha realize that their brother is sick, and they basically do the first century version of calling triple O. They're like, we need Jesus. He's been going around healing people and helping them get better from their illnesses. And so the sisters up on the screen sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. They send messages to Jesus and say, the one you love is sick. And John then says, in verse 5, should come up as well. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So here's what we learn from those verses. John is claiming here that the Son of God, Jesus, loves people individually. He loves these specific people with unique circumstances who are in the middle of suffering. He's saying, Jesus loves them. In fact, How's Lazarus identified? It's not even by his name. He's identified as the one that Jesus loves. That's a really big deal. He was known to people as someone that Jesus loved. So we can be sure here that Jesus loves Lazarus and Martha and Mary. That's the first thing. But here's the second thing I want you to notice. Jesus waits and allows him to die. Jesus loves Lazarus, but then the second thing, he waits and he lets him die. Now, the loving thing to do here would be to take away his illness, wouldn't it? The loving thing to do would just be to make him better. And so what does he do about it? Well, Jesus waits where he is for two more days. He says, I'm going to stay here instead of going. I'm going to stay here for two more days. And by the time he eventually arrives, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days and he's dead. What the heck is Jesus doing? What, what is he doing? There are just so many questions that come to my mind when I read that passage. Why did he let someone he loves die? Why did he leave Mary and Martha, who he also loves, to grieve the loss of their brother? Why, when he can heal people, he even heal people from long distance, why didn't he just click his fingers like you guys have been doing and heal him straight away? He could have done that. And Martha, she clearly feels the same way. And this is what she says to Jesus. 
if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she's probably right. And then a couple of verses later, the other sister, Mary, she reaches the place where Jesus was and saw him and she falls at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They both have that exact same response. Jesus, what are you doing? There seems to be no sense in this. And I reckon that's the exact tension that we live with, isn't it? Jesus claims to love us, and yet we suffer. I know exactly how Mary and Martha feel, to be honest. Senselessly grieving the loss of a sibling. But I reckon it's in this tension here that we actually catch a glimpse of why God allows suffering. I want you to notice this with me. It's the third thing. Jesus shares in their suffering. Jesus shares in their suffering. Have a look with me at the next few verses. They're going to come up on the screen again. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her, which is Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And so they take him to the place that Lazarus is laid. And then it says this. Jesus wept. Jesus cries. And then the Jews, who are Jesus' opponents, look on, and even they say, See how he loved him. See how the Son of God loved Lazarus. Uh, I don't want you to miss the power of what's happening here. Jesus knew Lazarus was going to die. In fact, by choosing to wait, Jesus actually made sure that he was going to die. And Jesus also knows how this story is going to end. You guys just heard it read out. How does this story end? What, what does he do for Lazarus? He brings him back to life. He knows that he's going to do that. He's in complete control of this situation from beginning to end. But yet, what does he do in the middle of it? He cries. He's genuinely upset. He's not just like detached from the pain of the people around him and going, I know what's going to happen. He doesn't question them for weeping and kind of saying, oh, just, just have hope. No, he, he joins them. He joins them in their pain. The, the reality of death and suffering and its effects that we all experience Jesus felt those things too, and it breaks his heart. Even his fiercest opponents, the Jews, the ones that end up nailing him to a cross, they look on and comment at how much Jesus loves Lazarus. Jesus doesn't just feel sorry for them. He, he takes that on personally. 
It reminds me of this scene in a, a book that C.S. Lewis wrote. Has anyone read any of the Narnia books or seen one of the movies? Lots of you guys, good stuff. C.S. Lewis writes this character into the book called Aslan. And Aslan is in there to represent Jesus. There he is there. And, and one of the books that he writes is called The Magician's Nephew. And there's this scene in The Magician's Nephew where Aslan meets this young boy named Diggory, which is a pretty average name. But anyway, we'll let that slide. Aslan meets Diggory, and Diggory's mother is sick. And Diggory wants to ask Aslan for help, but he's kind of kind of scared to approach Aslan and ask him to do something about this situation. Uh, I'm just going to read to you what happens in this scene. It's going to come up on the screen so you can follow along. C.S. Lewis writes, Up until then, he'd been looking at the giant's great front feet and the huge claws on them. And now, in his despair, he looked up at its face. And what he saw surprised him as much as anything else in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own, and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared to Diggory's own, that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. My son, my son, said Aslan, I know. Grief is great. Only you and I in this land know that yet. Let us be good to one another. What a world of comfort is found in those words, I know. C.S. Lewis writes this scene based on what's happening here in John 11. Recognizing that Jesus actually knows and sheds tears over the pain of the people that he loves. Jesus understands because he's actually shared in our suffering. And because he loves his people. Jesus knows the pain that we go through. And there's something really beautiful about that. And it's only after sharing in that suffering that he chooses to do something about it, to, to actually provide the ultimate solution. And that's the fourth thing that I want you to notice with me from this passage. It's that Jesus provides an answer for suffering. Jesus provides an answer for suffering. Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus, and this is what happens. Have a look with me at verses 38 down to verse 44. We're just going to read that together. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. She's basically saying, don't do it. It's going to stink, and there's no point in doing it anyway because he's gone. You didn't come when he first needed you. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they take away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, 
But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. A man who had died four days earlier comes back to life and walks out of a tomb. That is insane. That's crazy. And in waiting and allowing him to die, Jesus actually is showing people here that there are no doubts about him being able to raise people from the dead. In waiting and allowing Lazarus to die, he shows that he's ultimately loving by providing a way through suffering, something that no other religion, no way of life in this world can actually offer. In waiting, Jesus shows something that we all need in the face of death and suffering and pain, and it's called hope, that there's actually something beyond this life. And in raising Lazarus, Jesus is actually showing you and me how all of our stories are going to end one day. This is what's going to happen for you as well. Jesus will raise us to life again. But there's one final thing that I want us to see in suffering. I think it's actually the thing that Jesus wants everyone to pick up most when we read this story. And it's the thing that he offers most hope and comfort in. It's this. Number five. Should be the last point there in your booklet. It's that Jesus wants Mary and Martha and you and I to see that he's the resurrection and the life. Jesus wants Mary and Martha and you and I to see that he is the resurrection and the life. Partway through this story, when Jesus first returns and he meets Martha in the middle of her grief after she's just learned that her brother has died, he actually lets her know that Lazarus is going to come back to life. And she vaguely believes him, but not really. She's kind of like, I know that, you know, on the last day, that's what's going to happen. But then Jesus says these words to her. They're in verses 25 and 26. Have a read of them with me. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks her, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus is asking her here if she believes that he has the power over even life and death. His claim is not just that he can raise people from the dead back to life, but that he actually is the one who defines life and resurrection from the dead. What he's trying to get at is that this is actually something that is pointing forward to what he's about to do. This story about Lazarus, it points us forward to Jesus' own death and resurrection. 
You see, very shortly after this, Jesus is going to go to the cross. And he's going to die on that cross for the sins of humanity. Your sins and my sins. He's going to suffer in our place. And he knows how that story is going to end too. He knows that he's going to rise again. But he has to go through suffering to get there. And at this point, Jesus is trying to get Martha to see that what is happening is actually foreshadowing what he's about to do. That he is the most significant person that is ever going to walk this earth. That he'll die and he'll suffer, but he'll be resurrected back to life just like Lazarus is about to be. And at this point, I want to ask all of you a question. I want to ask you if you could pop your hand in the air, if you'd be willing, of your own accord, to opt in to have suffering happen to you in your life. Pop your hand up nice and high if that's you, if you'd choose to go through pain and suffering. All right. I don't think I saw anyone's hand. And the reason for that is this. None of us ever willingly choose to go through pain and suffering. We never want that. We've got this inbuilt way of thinking, rightly so, that that's just not how things are meant to be. It rubs us the wrong way. But I want you to get this. What Jesus is saying here is that he knows that he is about to willingly opt in for suffering for Mary and Martha and Lazarus and you and me. He's saying there is someone who is about to put their hand up and suffer in the most horrific way imaginable by dying on a cross, by being nailed to a tree. And he doesn't deserve it at all. Jesus opts in for something that you and I wouldn't. He opts in for suffering. Jesus understands your suffering and my suffering because he suffers himself. He's good to us because he sheds tears with you and I in our suffering. And he provides hope of resurrection life on the other side. And so I want to reject the easy and simple conclusion that some people make that if God was loving, he would never allow suffering. Here's why. I want to tell you a story before we wrap up. I remember hearing a story a few years ago about a a young girl that was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And a doctor pulled her in and gave the diagnosis and said to her, I always encourage people in this situation to, to keep a journal over the last few months of their life. And so I want to encourage you to buy a journal and write things down. And it'll just be something nice that your parents can read after you're gone. And so she bought a journal and wrote on the front, the moon is round. And each day she'd write a journal entry in there and she asked her parents not to read it 
until her time was up. And so a little while after she'd passed away and the funeral had been and gone, they mustered up some strength to pull out the journal and to start reading it. And so they agreed, one day at a time, we'll read a different journal entry. But when they, when they pulled it out, they were like, what the heck does the moon is round mean? Like, why is that written across the front cover? They thought, oh, well, I guess as we start reading it each day, we'll, we'll find out what that means. And so after a few days of flicking through, they got to a page where written at the top, she'd said, the moon is round. They thought, okay, we're going we're gonna to finally understand what she meant by that. It said this, the moon is round. Sometimes you see all of it. Sometimes you see three quarters. Sometimes you only see half of it. Sometimes you only see a sliver. And sometimes you can't see it at all. But the moon is still round. And it's the same with God's love for us. Sometimes we see all of it. Sometimes we might only see half. Sometimes you can only see a little bit. And sometimes it's really hard to see it at all. But God still loves us. And I know that because Jesus died for me. You see, God's love for us is shown in the suffering of his son. And sometimes that is really, really, really hard to recognize. It's really hard to see that God loves us. But in what he did for us in Jesus, there is never a doubt that he loves you and that he loves me. Because he was willing to go through unimaginable suffering for us. You see, the heart of the Christian message is that the Son of God died on a cross outside of Jerusalem because he loved us. That's the message of Christianity. And the question that we should be asking today is not, is God loving when he allows suffering? But instead, what was God doing suffering for the sins of humanity? God hasn't remained distant from human pain and suffering. He's suffered himself. And in rising from the dead, he offers a solution to the problem of pain and death and sickness and suffering forever. And he's telling Martha here, because of this, death is not the end. Suffering does not have the final word in your life or my life, because you will live even after you die. And being with God in heaven where suffering is no more depends on what you believe about Jesus. And so he asked Mary and Martha and he asked you and me, do you believe that? Do you believe that? You know, one day my body is going to breathe its final breath and I'm going to be buried like Lazarus was. And over time, my body is going to decay. It's probably going to start smelling. 
And I can't be sure, but I don't think that after four days, I'm going to be called back up out of that grave. But what I am sure of is this, that one day I will hear my name called. And I will be resurrected, and I will see Jesus face to face, just like Lazarus was. Just like Rach will be too. And just like you, if you believe in Jesus, will have that privilege. I believe that, even though my suffering still hurts, and even though your pain still hurts, because Jesus defeated death and sin and suffering forever when he rose from the dead. You see, this story about Lazarus, it's our story too. We all live in this period of waiting, where there's evidence that God loves us through Jesus, but our suffering still exists. And on this earth, I don't think there's a way for us to ever be completely okay with that. But in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we see that God loves us. And we see that there's an end to suffering one day. Some people say that Christianity falls apart at the seams when the topic of suffering comes up. But you know what? I actually think that it's the thread that keeps it together. And it makes it believable. This is the final thing that I want you to write down. It's a blank space on your page. It says a Christian isn't a person who has solved the problem of suffering. Instead, a Christian is someone who has come to love and trust the God who has suffered himself on our behalf. That's what it means to be a Christian. I'm going to say that one more time. A Christian isn't a person who solved the problem of suffering. Instead, a Christian is someone who has come to love and trust a God who has himself suffered on our behalf. Because suffering is where Jesus meets us most personally and most lovingly. Suffering isn't a reason to doubt the love of God. It's the reason to see that God is actually more loving than you could dare to imagine. Because he was willing to suffer for you so that there might be an end to your suffering one day. And as I sat down with that young boy from my scripture class, this story about Lazarus was the thing that came to mind. With his head, with his head buried in his hands, he said, no one knows what it's like. You can't understand. And I realized in that moment that all I could say, with tears in my eyes as well, was I know. But more importantly, Jesus does too. And so I want to ask you, do you believe that? I'm going to pray to close. I'm just going to give you maybe 20 seconds or so, though, to pray on your own if you want to pray in response to what we've just heard. 
So why don't you close your eyes and bow your head. Maybe you want to pray to God for yourself. And then in 20 seconds, I'll lead us in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus and for the love that you showed us by sending him to lay down his life for us. We, we can never fully comprehend what that cost you and how difficult that would have been to put your hand up and choose to go through suffering. Father, we're sorry that our sin and our choice to go our own way is what meant that you had to do that and so we want to acknowledge that and say thank you and ask that no matter what we face in this life no matter what suffering comes our way that we would look to you and your suffering servant Jesus and know that there is hope beyond this life and that in the middle of our suffering you really are with us and we pray and ask for this in Jesus name amen